Welcome to Women and Manufacturing, where accomplished women interview accomplished women, with your host, Barbara Troutline. Welcome. I'm Dr. Barbara Troutline, Principal and Chief Catalyst at Change Catalysts. I partner with clients to manufacture change in this age of disruption across industries and around the globe. I'm thrilled to be a host for Women in Manufacturing and to get the opportunity to interview exceptional women in STEM fields. Our conversations are mission critical to ensure all voices are heard and are able to contribute to our workplaces and our world. And of course, our dialogue is of vital importance for women and girls and men and boys too to achieve success in life and work. Please do continue to engage in this conversation by following us online at womenandmfg.com and on Twitter as well. For today's show, please join me in welcoming Nusha Godsey. Nusha is currently the operations manager at Andover's Los Angeles Refinery. In this role, she manages an operating department of over 200 union and salaried employees responsible for safe, compliant, and reliable operations. Nusha has over 23 years experience in the energy industry, spanning technical operations and commercial roles in refining. She began her career with ARCO and following graduation with a BS in chemical engineering from UCLA, she started her career in refining. Welcome, Nusha. Thank you, Barbara. I'm very excited to be here with you today. Yes, and I'm thrilled to have you especially because we did get the opportunity to work together when we were both supporting the BP refinery there in Carson, California. So I'm, I'm just uh, I'm so thrilled that I, you've had a very um, interesting career and, and you're a, a very um, uh, impactful woman in broadly speaking manufacturing. So I just know that our audience is going to get so much out of the stories that you have to tell and the advice you have to give. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, I'd like to start off by just asking you if there's anything you'd like to share with our audience about your background that wasn't covered in your bio. Actually, one of the things that people find fascinating is uh, why I got into the energy or the oil industry in the first place. I, I routinely get asked that question, especially when I go out to campuses, university campuses, and help with mentoring, coaching, and recruiting. And interestingly enough, my plan had always been to go to grad school after I got my undergraduate degree. And I had internships lined up in a research lab uh, leading up to graduation. My roommate, on the other hand, was looking for paid internships so she could make some money. And there was an evening with industry that the Society of Women Engineers had put on our junior year. And it's an opportunity for students to go and meet with industry representatives and basically make their pitch and give their resumes and hopefully come away with an internship. She didn't want to go by herself. I had no interest in an internship, but I went ahead and went with her just to keep her company. I happened to end up at a table with an industry rep from ARCO, and we really hit it off. And then he asked me for my resume. I told him I already had an opportunity. Yet he persisted. He called me about a week later, and I said, hey, I told you, I have another opportunity. And then he told me how much money I was going to make. And then I said, you know what, let me go back and rethink this. And uh, turns out I took the internship, and it completely changed the course of, of my career from that point forward. I, I didn't end up going to graduate school, but instead 
rehired in with ARCO when I graduated, and it's led to the wonderful career I've had for the last uh, almost 24 years. That's a great story, and I think it's also so interesting that so often we look back in our lives and we can have so much retrospective rationality that we attribute to our decisions, and yet so often just taking advantage of something unexpected and taking a you know, pivot in the road can lead to so many more interesting and enriching and fulfilling opportunities for us. So I think that's, you just shared a great example of that. Anything else perhaps from early in your career once you made the transition into industry after your undergraduate experience and that might have had a uh, you know, particularly compelling impact on you and, and your early career? Yeah, I, I think that um, when I first started working for ARCO full-time, I was one of several brand-new engineers, and so usually the new engineers get some of the, the smaller projects and, and grunt work to do uh, from some of the more senior engineers. I was actually given an opportunity to go spend about six months at our refinery in Washington. This is when I was based in Los Angeles. And through the course of my time there, I ended up meeting quite a number of people and working on a unit that they decided they wanted to do a major revamp project on, a design project. And since I had become familiar with the unit, they said, why don't you do it? I said, well, I only have like a year of experience. I, I think this might be a little beyond my capability, but they gave me the opportunity. And I worked really hard uh, at uh, putting together the design basis and the design case for this. I was basically doing work that was several years um, ahead of, I was several years ahead of where, where I really was in my career. And while my peers were also working similar projects, theirs never went anywhere, and mine actually got justified and was the last project that ARCO implemented before they sold the company. It was a $34 million debottlenecking project at our Washington refinery. To be, a, at that point, a two- to three-year engineer and being able to say that I, I worked on and developed and designed equipment that got implemented and was a project that actually got completed um, was very, very rewarding. I actually went up there and watched them during the construction phase as well so I could see what I did on computers and how it looked in real life, and it was an awesome experience especially in the environment that I work in, predominantly male environment, to be a fairly new engineer, female, coming in and doing the type of project I did really helped boost my confidence and allow me to take some of the, the challenges and, and opportunities that I took subsequent to that in my, in my career. That's very exciting. So why do you think initially that you were tapped for that opportunity? What do you perhaps think you did that set yourself up just to have that door open for you? When I look back, it, was, it all started with the manager at the uh, location I was working at in Los Angeles asking for a volunteer to go up and work at, for six months on a temporary assignment. I took that challenge. I, I, took, I stepped outside of the, the box, stepped outside of my comfort zone. Uh, being brand new, it's already scary enough trying to figure out what you're doing and, you know, you're, you're not in school anymore. This is the real world. Um, I basically said, you know what, I'm going to take that challenge. And moving up to Washington for those six months, a place I'd never been to, uh, with people I didn't know, in a job that I wasn't quite yet comfortable with, uh, from from that perspective, that really 
uh, for me, I think helped others recognize that, that I am willing to take a challenge and show what I'm capable of doing. I don't just sit back and do the status quo. Yeah, I think that's a fabulous example also for the fact that one thing that we know is that sometimes women can sit back and wait to be asked and feel like we need to have all the boxes checked um, before we step up for an opportunity. Um, whereas a lot of times our male colleagues might be more comfortable raising their hands if they're only qualified in one small aspect of the, of the new challenge. So I think that, um, that absolutely what you just shared was, was critical to get you noticed and then your inevitable success from there. So obviously you've had extensive experience as a woman in the male-dominated environment of the energy industry. So I'm sure there's so many stories that you could tell that would be useful, but what would be, um, you know, just to kick it off, um, like you just shared, raising your hands, stretching yourself, um, perhaps you have another story or some advice um, that, would be, um, that would be useful to share. Absolutely. One of the things that I, I try to impart upon some of the younger engineers that, it, that I work with and, and mentor today is that your career is all about choices. It's choices you get to make, you make based on what you are interested and want to do, but you also have to own your career. If you're waiting for a manager or someone to tell you what to do or waiting for them to promote you, you could be waiting a very long time. Uh, it is really up to each one of us to identify what interests us and what we enjoy doing. And if there are things that you like, things that you don't like, being very clear about that, being clear about that with your manager. It's also important that you're honest because sometimes, uh, especially I've noticed that in, in my environment with women, they are quick to say what it is that they think the manager wants to hear. They think that people want to hear that that's what's going to get them advanced, that's what's going to give them the opportunity. And that is honestly not the case. That's not been my experience. Um, not only will that not get you what you want, but you will be miserable. You know, if you end up in a job that isn't what you're interested in doing, you think it's because that's what's going to get you the promotion faster, that could end up backfiring big time. The other thing is to seek out mentors to help you identify those roles, especially early on in my career. It was hard to see the different pathways, the different forks in the road, and, and what the options and what the benefits could be. So seeking out advice, asking people who are in those roles you're considering, asking people who've had a wealth of experience in their careers, it doesn't mean that any one of those answers are right or wrong for you. You yourself have to determine what works for you. But the more data, I mean, as an engineer, of course, I love data, but the more data that you can collect and evaluate the better chance you have of making the better decisions for yourself. But you do need to own your career in doing that. Yeah, that's great, taking that control back and owning it. Um, and I love that you brought in the, the data and, uh, and collecting data from other people and also that you, right from early in your career, you know, you're advocating that younger women be, be reflective, self-reflective. Um, one thing I talk about sometimes is using your own emotions as data. And so looking at, to your point, what energizes you, what interests you, so you can build a career that you love and, and communicating that because nobody is a mind reader, really putting yourself out there, um, you know, all, all really, really wonderful advice. 
Um, and I also know that you have, in addition to doing all the things that you just said, as your initial example showed, raising your hand, stepping out of your comfort zone, um, I think another misconception sometimes we have in engineering fields is that it can be a very linear kind of kind of field. It can be very, you know, it's all math and science. It's all, you know, working on projects, sitting at your computer, you know, that sort of thing. But what can you share about, you've done a lot of much more broad things in your career, Nusha, about, you know, that part of your journey and how it's contributed to your success. Yeah, when stepping out of my comfort zone definitely has become a theme through the course of my career. And I, I realized pretty early on that I was not going to be the type of engineer who enjoyed sitting behind a computer all day. Uh, the design project that I alluded to earlier did a lot of that. And, and it was a great experience, but after that experience I realized, okay, I think I'm done with that. <laughs> I want to try something new. Uh, with that, I have taken a number of different roles, and they haven't all been roles that that are technical or in nature or, or engineering roles. I've, I've worked in the commercial space and the operations space, and, and each time I did that, I went in the job knowing virtually nothing. I, I, I didn't really always know what I was getting into, and it's a scary thing. I, I have people that I, you know, hire into roles today who are scared to go do a job where they didn't grow up with that understanding that or learning that technology or they're not familiar with the tools or the systems or the work processes. That will very much narrow your career. You want to be in a position where you, you need to have some self-confidence to be able to go in and say, I'm, I'm, I'm okay to raise my hand and say, I'm not really sure I know this, but I want to learn it. And who can help me learn to leverage the people around you the resources that you have, um, and that's really going to help get you more comfortable at getting out of your comfort zone. I always encourage people to look for those special assignments. Look for the projects that, that sound intriguing, but they're different. They may be different than what you're used to doing. If I hadn't done that, um, the, the very first assignment that, that I had uh, they'd ask for a volunteer. This was even before the design project. They'd ask for a volunteer to work on a turnaround at the refinery. I didn't even know what a turnaround was. I had no idea. <laughs> I said, you know, this could be cool. I'm just going to learn something new, and I raised my hand. And it was fascinating because it required me to do a lot of climbing of towers and vessels, and I'm afraid of heights. So that was that was very challenging, and I had another engineer that that was brand new, just like me, that was doing that, and he was constantly making fun of me. So that was really hard, uh, but uh, but it did. Again, it was getting out of my comfort zone. That's what got me exposed, and others exposed to me. That led to the next opportunity. That led to the next opportunity. That led to the next opportunity. But you have to be comfortable going in that you won't know everything, and sometimes. Uh, Females, especially in male-dominated environments and especially in technical fields, feel that they need to know everything. And if you try that approach, it's going to lead to a very uh, narrow career. Yeah, that's wonderful. You don't need to know everything. You just need to know how to get the answers and how to facilitate. And a lot of times no one knows the answers, right? So I think a lot what you bring to the table also is just how to facilitate the right answers, the best answers out of other people, individually and collectively. You said something that was intriguing. Um, how do you go about getting people to recognize your capabilities and your aspirations? 
especially when they're just evolving in your own mind? How have you done that? One of the tools that I've used is the writing my personal development plan down on a piece of paper. And the personal development plan is really a, a function of me taking a step back and thinking about the things that I enjoy doing about my job that I'm in and the jobs that I've had and what I don't enjoy. And, and it's not necessarily the specific activities, but do I like to sit behind a computer all day? Do I enjoy being out in the field? Do I enjoy talking to people? Do I enjoy influencing decisions, things like that, and then laying out what would I like to do in the next year to two years, three to five years or six years plus. But oftentimes you start with a blank piece of paper and you don't know what to put in those boxes. That's where that networking comes in. Having regular discussions, whether it's with your manager, peers, others that you see who have taken a career path that interests you. anywhere, as we discussed before, anywhere that you can get that kind of data to help formulate what might be a journey that you want to be on. And then using that information to get onto your management's radar screen. Keep your interests fresh in in their minds. I remember at one point I had an HR person tell me that my boss had recommended me for a particular manager position in the maintenance department. And I said, that's fascinating. Why did he think I was interested in that? And she said, well, I'm not really sure, but that's what he said would be your next role. And I said, well, I actually have zero interest in maintenance, and we've never had that discussion. So I learned right then and there that the importance of having those discussions, because your manager or others may have a particular view about you, but if you don't open up and tell them what you're interested in, they may take it down. They may think they're doing the right thing for you when, in fact, they're not. We're also all entitled to change our opinions. So once I put this personal development plan on paper, that doesn't mean it's set in stone. It's actually an exercise that I review and refresh every year. And those, of, those individuals that report to me, my, my direct reports, I have them do the same thing. And every year, around mid-year, we sit down and we discuss them making sure that we're all aligned around career interests. Yeah, and that's also a great way that, you know, now as a manager that you can align individual and team and organizational goals um, to really see what is coming up and who might have the, um, you know, the experience and the, you know, currently and then the desire to stretch in new and different ways. So that sounds like a win-win, and it also sounds like a great way of leveraging your analytical skills in terms of taking an inventory about what the capabilities are and then matching them up with potential future opportunities. So, again, a great way to, great to leverage that. I would imagine that, that this also, especially when it comes to not sitting back and you know, reflecting on your own aspirations, but also when it comes to communicating them, that there would be some opportunities to remember to be um, you know, perhaps mindful about how you're positioning yourself and interacting with whether it's your manager, whether it's HR, whether it's other leaders that you might enjoy working with. Um, so how do you go about, what, any thoughts you have on that subject about how you exactly go about communicating your aspirations and exploring new opportunities with different audiences? Absolutely. I, I think this is a, another lesson I learned. I learned a lot of lessons early in my career, but there are lessons <laughs> that I've held to this day. And one of the 
the lessons that I learned was to be very mindful about how I come across and respectful that different audiences will receive information in different ways. And so whether it's talking about my aspirations, whether it's talking about an issue in the workplace, whatever it is, I know about my personality. I know that I tend to be very passionate, uh, especially about something that I feel very uh, is very important. It needs to be addressed, or it's just it's just of huge importance to me. And with my passion comes a bit of maybe drama or animation in how I share that information. Right? I mean, maybe my voice goes up a little bit, or maybe there's a few more hand gestures. And what I've come to realize is, although when I'm talking to female friends, we may all be like this, and you know, it's just just it's it's acknowledged, it's understood, and it's received perfectly fine. When I've been dealing with with managers or peers who are male, a number of them have been put off by that. It's whether they feel that I'm um, being dramatic. If I'm whining, depending on what it is I'm talking about, I have had several who have come to me and given me that feedback, which I found fascinating because that was never my intent. That is just how I come across. So one of the things that I'm consciously, even to this day, very thoughtful about and have to work on is making sure that when I want to get my point across, that I do it in a way that I recognize the audience that I'm talking to and I get the message across in the way that I intend and that it can be received in the way that I intend. And that may be a different approach depending on the audience I'm talking to. Again, very wise. I think it is fascinating to sit back and reflect about whether our intent is matching our impact on other people. Um, and being, uh, as you say, mindful of that and also being responsible for that. Um, so again, another great piece of advice. And another thing, um, that I know you've done really well in your career in terms of the balancing act, in this case, balancing your, your intent with, with your impact is balancing being successful in the short term and being very effective on whatever projects or initiatives you're taking on with having an eye towards the long term, as you just shared, taking your interview inventory of your, you know, uh, your capabilities and an inventory of your aspirations and reflecting on that periodically, I think that's an indication of that. But anything else you can share about balancing working now with looking forward towards the future in our careers? Yeah, definitely looking ahead is really important in that um, and being patient. One of the things that I encountered it was probably about five or so years into my career. There was one of those forks in the road, and I had there was two other engineers that had hired in the same year as me, and all three of us were applying for a sup- the superintendent position in operations. So that would have been our first supervisory role. And at the time, there was, I think, only one or two positions open. So I was really hopeful because that would be a promotion. And we all were gunning for promotions because we tended to look at promotions as a way to be able to look at ourselves and say, hey, we're accomplishing something. We're we're making progress. We're doing well. Well, as it turned out, the refinery manager at the time 
pulled me aside and said, I, I understand you applied for this job. However, I would like you to go do this other job that is outside of the refinery in the supply organization. And oh, by the way, it's a lateral move. It's not a promotion. And oh, by the way, you don't have a choice. You're going. <laughs> so I said, well, all right. And again, in the spirit of stepping out of my comfort zone, getting into something different, I said I'd, I'd do it. And, you know, in retrospect, I was a little bitter because I think it must have been two jobs because both of my friends got promoted at that time. And then here I am leaving the refinery, leaving my comfort zone with a lateral, and they got a promotion. Fast forward 15 years, and one of those individuals quit uh, it no longer works for the company. One of those individuals became somewhat stagnant at the level they're in, and I've been advancing since then. And a big mm-hmm. part of that had to do with the fact that I broadened my experiences. I didn't stay at the refinery. I went and learned a whole different part of the business. I networked with a whole different group of people. I lived in different locations. And that is what made me more marketable at the end of the day, um, and really broaden my experiences and set a foundation that has just made me more well-rounded at the end of the day. So now when I speak to some of the newer engineers, I encourage them to broaden themselves. Don't rush. Don't try to get that promotion because you think you want that little bit extra money or that little uh, feather in the cap so to speak. This is all about thinking long-term about your career, making sure that you're setting the right foundation for yourself that you can leverage in the future and and really give yourself as many opportunities and have as many doors possibly open for you as possible. Yeah, I love that idea of the broad foundation, a broad foundation both in terms of experiences as well as the broader foundation also then exposes you to a broader base of people who can be your sponsors and support throughout your career. Um, And also I just know personally that there's been so many times that I've taken on an opportunity that I didn't think, as you shared earlier, you had a similar experience would, would enjoy would be me and yet got a lot of value out of it. And it did, did, as you said, open new doors and also opened up the opportunity for me to see different aspects of myself. So Also excellent advice. Now I wanted to switch gears a little bit, Nusha, because I know in your many years of working in a very hazardous environment, a very demanding environment, um, as we talked about, male-dominated environment, um, that you have a lot of experience dealing not only with difficult situations but with difficult people. And I think it would be very instructive for our audiences to hear some of the examples that you have that I know will be broadly relatable and how you've handled them and what kind of insights you've derived. So, um, so again, the, the focus on, you know, particularly challenging people situations that you've encountered, that could be a really good learning resource for all of us. Pretty early on when I was working on the, the large uh, design project, I talked about how I was a lead for that project. Well, I also mentioned that I was about one year of experience. So the manager actually hired a a contract engineer to help provide some background support from a technical perspective to vet some of what I was doing and help with some of the the detailed design analysis. And I learned a lot from him. However, uh, he was not the most pleasant individual to work with. 
In fact, when I would take him with me to go and have uh, update meetings with the, the refinery uh, personnel in Washington to let them know how the project was progressing, how the design work was going, what we were looking at, he was somewhat on the arrogant side. And he was very difficult to work with. I got a lot of feedback from the, pers the refinery personnel that they did not want to work with him at all. I'm sitting here as a one-year engineer trying to figure out how to leverage utilizing his experience, but frankly, he was difficult to work with. And for me, I think part of it was I, I didn't know how, to what extent being a female played into it. Certainly being a one-year engineer played into it as well. And so I struggled, and I talked to my manager about it, but my manager actually brought this individual on board because they were personal friends. So my discussions with my manager didn't go very well. In fact, it turned into me being sent to a class on how to deal with um, conflict and difficult people. And uh, so, so that was great. I learned quite a bit <laughs> that, that came. I don't think that was his intent. Was <laughs> He he, uh, he he definitely kept the, the contractor on board. However, I didn't give up, so I went to the class. I was a bit discouraged, but then at one point, I looked around, and I found a resource within the department who was a, a very senior engineer who wasn't working on this project uh, but was part of the team. And so I reached out to him and said, hey, would you – be willing to kind of help me out a little bit with some things and bounce some ideas off of you. And so I started to talk to him a little bit more about some of the technical challenges and issues I was having. And he ended up coming on board on the project, and he started interacting with this contractor and realizing that, okay, maybe it wasn't me, <laughs> maybe it wasn't the refined personnel, maybe this individual just wasn't the right fit for what we needed to have done. And lo and behold, Within a month or so of that, the contractor was gone. So uh, although, you know, I look back and I say, wow, that, that was a challenging situation because I really at one point wasn't sure I wanted to stick around for this. I was really feeling on my own. But I was able to find somebody that could help me through it. And, again, it made me stronger as a result. I learned how to better influence uh, without authority uh, and improve my approach to addressing issues. And, and ended up with a good outcome. I also had a situation uh, about a couple years after that that actually had to do with a female. So, you know, we talk about this being a male-dominated environment and some of the challenges uh, as a female working in a male-dominated environment. But I wouldn't discount the females either because sometimes you may run into a female who is very competitive and may not be as secure as you are and uh, might pose a bit of a challenge. So there was a, a woman that I was working with. I was an engineer, and she was a supervisor in the refinery. And she prided herself on, on being very engaged with the operators in the field, but I also enjoyed doing that. And the operator seemed receptive to me, and, and we had a very good working relationship. And it was pretty clear she didn't like that. And so there were – she had started to look for opportunities to bring me down. 
and find ways to make me feel bad. One time she actually called me up and started yelling at me about something that she thought I had not done. And what I found out later is she had a several people in the room with her and she was belittling me in front of them. And one of those individuals actually reported her to HR as a result. Uh, you know, I, when I look back on that, I think, you know, it, it's unfortunate because it was just her, possibly her insecurity that got the better of her. But it can happen anywhere. It can happen with a male or female. And I was fortunate enough that I was able to power through. But again, that was another low point in my career where I started looking around wondering, am I all alone in this? But once you start to figure out ways to to power through these things, that enables you to get through a lot. I've had lots of difficult people I've dealt with in my career. And just thinking back even on those first couple of examples, I, I learned how to deal with those situations without letting them get to me to the point of impacting my ability to be effective. Yeah, it sounds like there's several lessons that you teased out from those examples there. Again, how strong you are, right? So power through it, recognizing your you know, hidden resources and strengths. And it seems like also just by having built relationships and demonstrated credibility with some other peers, you were able to, or some other people in your environment, you were able to find people who, you know, stepped up and supported you um, and advocated for you through these instances. So the combination of both, um, I think, is, is really important. And I think also just recognizing that, um, you know, you previously talked about your intent versus your impact, and sometimes you need to be cognizant of that, responsible to that, adapt your style to others. Also to recognize that sometimes it's really not you. <laughs> you know, there are things, there are insecurities, um, whether like the gentleman it's arrogant um, or like the, you know, woman's example may be more, you know, insecurity about her position and her standing in the group versus you that, um, you know, we need to be sensitive to, empathetic about. Um, and, you know, just sometimes that awareness, I think, can help us um, to take a different perspective on the situation. So, and I, you know, and I think also um, early in people's career, like you said, it can be both the, you know, male-female issue, female-female, and sometimes just that you are, um, you know, younger and newer than other people, they can question your, your credibility. But also, of course, they could be insecure about do they know as much or as you do in certain areas, like around new technologies, being more tech-savvy, that sort of thing. So, so there could just be a lot of layers to that onion, and I think that, it can be helpful to sometimes distance ourselves from the situation and take that analytical approach like you're advocating, even though it's a very emotional situation, um, you know, stepping back and analyzing it and, and attempting to have some more objectivity can be really helpful as well. So I was and wondering it, also, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to say, you know, it, it's, even though I learned those lessons early in my career, I keep having to remind myself uh, at times, because even there's been more recent examples in the last several years, right? I'm, I'm in 24th year of my career, but I've even had examples in the last couple of years, same sort of thing, where I'm having to remind myself I need to step back, I need to try to think about where the other person may be coming from, why do I have a disconnect with them, why are they pushing back on what I'm saying, or why are we not aligned? And it's it's just a ongoing process. It's, it's something that 
I don't know if we ever become perfect at because every single person we deal with is a different situation, different issue, different circumstance. But it is something that that is, is a, a continuous uh, improvement opportunity. Absolutely. So another opportunity, you've shared several examples of early in your career when you were an individual contributor. What about moving into that first supervisory role? And any examples there that would be useful in terms of making that transition and situations you encountered? So I've had, when I first got a supervisory position, um, there, when I left the refinery, it wasn't immediately in a supervisory position. It was shortly thereafter. But there was a lot of distrust, not only from the folks that I was working with in the supply group because they said, who is this that's come over here? They don't know anything about supply. Uh, but when I left the refinery, there was a lot of resentment. It was almost like I, the baby bird left the nest. You know, why did she leave? And she went to the dark side. She went to the other side. There's a lot of distrust naturally between the supply group and the refining group, and then me leaving was very hard. On top of that, I was managing people that had, some of them had 20 or more years of experience than I did. <laughs> so, and then some who had a bit less majority had more experience than me, were more familiar with everything than me. And so the way that I overcame that, because there was some resistance, you know, there was some, the, the, the credibility thing, I had to build up my credibility. So I tackled it by being very humble and spending time with each individual, getting to know them, what the area of expertise they had, what was the role that they had, what, what, what were their aspirations? What were they contributing? And I would have one-on-one -on -one meetings with each person every month. And I had at the time at least 10 people reporting to me. So that's a lot of meetings. And, but from doing that, I was able to build up credibility, not necessarily that I became a technical expert or I understood everything about the supply organization, but as a leader. And as somebody who would take the time to listen and would take the time to if I didn't know, I would go ask and get help and get more resource, whatever the case may be. That really helped me uh, as I moved through that first supervisory position because that was with salaried individuals. That was with management resources. When I moved to my second supervisory position, that was managing hourly employees, union employees. And I think if I had done that type of job first, it would have been a lot harder. Uh, that was a whole different ball game, and but it's the same sort of concept. How do I remain humble? Step back. I don't just because I'm the boss doesn't mean I know everything, and I want to hear what's on people's minds, and I want to leverage the knowledge and the information the organization. And taking that approach was hugely successful uh, with uh, my first role in operations, uh, having hourly individuals report to me. I, I learned a lot from doing that and have leveraged that ever since. And there's been plenty of difficult people that I've worked with <laughs> in, in that environment, uh, people that complain just for the sake of complaining because that's just what they enjoy doing. And you learn how to listen and, and process and provide feedback and honest feedback. One of the things that 
that I had several hourly employees tell me after uh, I left the job, I'd been their manager for about five years. They said, you know, Nusha, we didn't like every decision you made, but we knew you had our back, you listened to us, and we trusted you. So even if we didn't like the answer, we knew you had our best interests in mind, and so we support you. And, and that was probably one of the most rewarding things I'd ever heard in my career. That is high praise, I can imagine. I can imagine that. And those are great examples of building relationships and making a difference with your team, with the people who report to you. How about any thoughts or advice or insight about influencing up as you progress from being a frontline leader, um, you know, upwards in the organization, um, to be able to, again, have that broader impact on the, you know, decisions and the culture of the refineries that you've been working with? There is a period of time in the role previous to the one I'm in now, I actually sat, I had a role that sat on the leadership team for the refinery. And that was the first time I'd been on the leadership team. The leadership team historically is male-dominated, individuals that are generally 25-plus years. And at the time, I had 20 years of experience and um, was the only female on the team at the time. And the positives about being on the leadership team is you do have the ability to engage with and influence up to the corporate level. And so there were a couple of issues that I was working on trying to influence the corporate uh, groups to make a change in, in a work process that they were doing. And I had fairly strong beliefs about why I was recommending taking a certain approach that was not consistent with what the senior vice president, uh, the person responsible for all of the refineries, uh, was inconsistent with what he believed in. And I looked for very uh, various opportunities, different people to network with in the corporate arena, uh, whether it was HR or some of the other support groups, to try to convey my message and try to influence and this one was a, was a tough situation because the individual that I was trying to influence, uh, I, I've come to find out is incredibly difficult to influence. <laughs> I think very few people were ever able to influence him to do something other than what he wanted. Um, so one of the things I learned in going through that experience is, you know, there, there comes a time where you may have to punt, that it may not be worth the effort, uh, that you may have to call it quits if it ends up uh, taking too much of a toll. And this was a particular situation where it was became pretty apparent that he was not going to change regardless of the case that, that I put forward. And I was pushing really hard. I was passionate about it. And again, going back to that idea of being thoughtful about who your audience is, uh, I probably pushed a little too hard and was never able to influence that change. And in fact, I think I um, got a little bit of of heat for having taken the approach that I did. So, So I had, you know, there's examples where things haven't gone as well as I had hoped, but learning that, um, trying to influence up, it is definitely can be just as challenging as influencing at any other level but also being respectful that at some point, 
no matter how much I don't want to focus on hierarchy, there's some level of hierarchy that exists. And to not worry myself so much, to find another way to, to manage through whatever the issue is without letting it get to me. And, and just saying, you know what, I'm going to have to just table that and look for a different opportunity or a different time or a different individual in which to push it with. So, so that was a, a, a challenge that, you know, even looking back now, I, I almost wish I had approached it a little bit differently. Uh, but I learned a lot from it, and now I'm more thoughtful about how I approach interacting with my manager or those above me. Yeah, it's tough to learn the lesson that sometimes even though you're right, you may not win. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And also, um, that my, is. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly, exactly. And and then the um, uh, sometimes I say also what you see depends on where you sit, right? And um, uh, and the serenity prayer that, you know, grant me the courage to change the things I can. And obviously a great per- a person of courage and can be very challenging to feel like, well, maybe this is the kind of situation where I, have to acknowledge that I have to accept, accept something that I cannot change, at least at the time. Um, yes. And, uh, you know, making that distinction between accepting and acquiescing um, yes. can, be, can be very challenging and a, a challenging judgment call to make. Well, what would you say has been the biggest single challenge of your career? Um, might it have been this instance or might it be something else that you can share? I think each time I progress through a role, I, I find the role to be the best role I've had and the most challenging I've had, and, and this current role is no different because the role I'm in now probably has presented me with the single biggest challenge I've faced in my career. I'm responsible for the safe, compliant, reliable operations of an entire refinery. And when I came over to this plant, it, it was not part of the um, – company that I had worked with previously. So I was not that familiar with the culture and the people, anything like that. As I came into the role, I started to find that despite the, the people were, are great, the people are awesome, the people really want to do the right thing, there were just years and years and years of misguided priorities and expectations that were instilled by previous management teams. They were very focused on things like cutting costs, doing repairs really quickly so we could get equipment back online, uh, minimizing downtime, even if it put safety at risk, minimizing hiring and staffing, so minimizing headcount, making people do more with less, with no future view to baby boomers and attrition and retirements that were coming and impact that would have on the overall experience level of the refinery. All of these things are critical in managing integrity, reliability risk, and and personnel experience. Those are critical to being able to run a safe, compliant, reliable operation. And I walked into a plant where those were really never the priorities. So... Uh, the employees, I, I give them kudos every day. They live through a lot of difficult odds, and they made do with what they had. Uh, but now I'm trying to teach them that, that they deserve more. They deserve more support. They deserve getting their equipment fixed right and in a timely manner, et cetera. And so a lot of what 
I've spent the two years that I've been in this particular role has been trying to instill a culture change. And that is challenging because especially when I work for uh, a manager who's very results-oriented, uh, culture change is hard to quantify. And, and engineers like data, they like numbers, and, and culture change doesn't really fit well with that model. But for me, spending the time that I do in the field, getting to know what's on people's minds, figuring out how to make them more comfortable, building the credibility that what we're trying to change is going to stick, and it's not just the flavor of the month, has been challenging. It's, it's two years and I'm still working on it. We're making progress, but building that credibility required me to spend a lot of time in the field, talking with people, getting my hands dirty, listening to concerns, asking for improvement ideas, but I can start to see the change now. We are making progress. It's, it's not as fast as I would love to see uh, but it is faster than I thought with less resistance than I expected um, given where the site had come from. So it, it's, it's very challenging. It's exhausting at times. It almost would be simpler if I was just dealing with a math problem or, you know, something like that. Uh, this is a lot more nebulous. It's a lot more warm and fuzzy, and, and it's harder to get your arms around. Uh, but it's where my passion lies right now. I, I'm, I'm determined to make a positive change where I leave a legacy at this plant that they can come back and say, Nusha helped make this place better. And, and that's what I'm striving for. Yeah, and kudos to you for, um, you know, uh, seeing past the day-to-day -day numbers, right, and what historically had made the place successful and really recognizing what is going to promote the longer-term success and sustainability. The other thing I would say, it sounds like it's been a theme of your career, Nusha, is the whole concept of I got your back, whether it was that original team you talk about or now with the, you know, supporting the entire refinery and showing people that they deserve more. Okay, so as we wrap up our time together today, I have just a couple additional questions for you, Nusha. We talked about the biggest challenge that you faced. How about the smartest decision that you ever made in your career and how did that contribute to your success and what advice can we tease out based on that decision for other ones? Sure. I think the smartest decision I made, I may have made a couple of times in my career and that was to not quit. To not quit mm -hmm. when the going got tough. Throughout, I, I shared some examples of challenges with working with uh, difficult individuals, uh, not being able to influence the way I'd hoped not maybe getting the support that I wanted. Throughout the course of my career, I've faced those challenges. And there have been two or three times where I've seriously contemplated throwing in the towel. And the, the frustration, it's because of the frustration I felt, didn't feel like I was being listened to or supported. However, I didn't quit. Because when I look back and say, I'm not going to give up, I'm going to power through this. I deserve to be here. I know I'm adding value. And guess what? People come and go. People change jobs. Managers change jobs. People move on. And if I can just hang out long enough, I'm sure this too shall pass. And 
that has been very beneficial for me because, you know, as I've powered through these things, I've not only moved on to even bigger and better opportunities, but I've learned something along the way that's helped make me stronger and more confident and more well-rounded to keep progressing my career. I, I force myself to remember I can get through this, I can persevere, and I will be stronger as a result. I've, I've known a couple of engineers who, when the going has gotten tough or they had a manager they didn't like or a job they didn't like, they quit. And they went to a competitor. Same environment, same type of thing, just different people. And guess what? People aren't altogether that different. They eventually ran into another similar manager or similar peer that was problematic for them. The grass is not always greener on the other side. People are people. And so if you can find a way to work through these issues, um, that, that to me is, is the way to move through those situations rather than quitting and giving up. Yeah, that also reminded me about the story that you shared earlier about climbing up pipes and vessels about it seems the theme is overcome your fear of heights to reach new heights. Perfect. <laughs> I still am scared, physically scared of heights, though. <laughs> I don't think I'm ever going to get rid of that. I've tried. <laughs> well, I think that's more of an evolutionary uh, kind of um, safety mechanism, so I can't blame you there. I share it. Uh, all right, Nusha. Well, as we close our show today, what key message would you like to leave with our audience? Or asked another way, what challenge or action step would you pose to our listeners today? Speak up for what you believe in. Don't hold back. Make sure people know where you're coming from and what's important to you and what you think priorities need to be. Just be thoughtful as to who your audience is and how to best approach them to be as effective as possible. But don't ever be afraid or hesitate to raise questions or concerns or to bring up new ideas to do things differently. It's just recognizing your approach to your audience and how to be most effective so that they hear you and engage with you versus having you have to beat your head against the wall to get them to hear you. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for sharing all your inspiring stories and your tangible advice today, Nusha. Really wonderful to have you on your show. Thank you so much. Thank you, Barbara, for the opportunity. And thank you to our entire audience for listening. And please do continue to engage in this very important conversation. Till next time, bye for now. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Women and Manufacturing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.